Well, good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel, week two. You survived week one. You survived the introduction to your syllabus, right? And most of you should be still have 4.0, right? Most of you, right? Well, we're glad you're here tonight. Um, aren't you glad you're here? Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and let them know that you're glad that they are here tonight. Well, welcome to opening convention. Thank you for coming. And it's our privilege this evening and this week to uh, hear from the Lord, from our brother in Christ, from Dr. Terry Toller. Let's welcome him here this evening. <laughs> Dr. Graves will introduce him a little bit more later on. But um, let us all stand this evening as we start with our theme, our prayer, and our commitment. Uh, say with me, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And we serve a great God, amen? amen? Psalms 135 says, I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is greater. Don't you, don't you believe that tonight? We serve a great God. And uh, many of you know that for the last two years, we've been praying for Sharon Matson. And uh, Dr. Matson just shared with me some wonderful news. And Dr. Matson, would you just come and just share briefly with, this is a wonderful time to praise the Lord for what he has done. Well, last week, uh, Sharon had the beginning of her three-month after chemo checkup. She had blood tests, CAT scan. Today we had an appointment with the doctor. I heard the doctor myself say, there's no evidence of cancer. It's obviously in remission. Our God is healer. Amen. Amen. Our God is healer. And we give him praise tonight. Sometimes he comes and he just lays hands on people and Instantly they're healed. Sometimes he works through those that he has entrusted in medicine and whatever. But I'm telling you, we celebrate God's touch on Sharon's life tonight. Let's continue to worship. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Tonight, Lord, as we have been singing, we have been lifted to heavenly places. We thank you for your presence that is so close and so real to us right now. God, I, I praise you tonight for your rich and abundant and wonderful blessings. I thank you, God, for calling all of us to this place. 
Here we are in the second week of school and I know, Lord, that already there are some who some who are wondering if really they made the right decision. But God, as JC said a few moments ago, we've already had the opportunity to digest the syllabus and we've already had time to look at the workload and we've had time to reflect on all of that. But God, tonight and tomorrow night in this, in these chapel services, in this opening convention, may we reflect not on the workload. May we reflect not on the thousands of pages of material that we must read or the exegetical papers we must do. May we reflect on, oh, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. For me. Lord, tonight I pray that in the midst of this time together, as we rejoice together, as we sing praises to you, Lord, I know that there are also students who are facing some difficult days. There are some burdens that, that they carry that are very, very heavy. We know, God, that even today there were some of our students' families that had to visit doctors and hospitals. Lord, we know that there are some who are still searching for jobs, and for some, that job search has taken a long, long time. God, we know that for some there are personal issues. There may be family issues. God, I pray that you would lift our burdens and lift the loads that we carry. God, for some it seems like it's been a very, very long time. And I can't help but reflect tonight, God. It'll be two years ago this coming February when we gathered in this place and our president preached that wonderful message on divine healing. And we anointed students and professors became pastors. My wife Sharon was anointed. We remember some others who were anointed and, and, and God from that night to this day, for Sharon and me, it's been a long journey. And it's been a long journey for other students, not just in the way of healing, but many of the loads they carry. Tonight I rejoice in victory and the words that the doctor spoke today. But more than that, I rejoice in the peace that you bring and have brought throughout. And God, I pray for our student body, for our faculties, for our staff. As we move together this year, I pray 
that we may rejoice in your words of peace and comfort and hope. We bring all of this to you tonight, God, because we love you. We could never repay you for all you've done for us. And we just say, thank you, Lord, for all you are. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Matson and, and Jonathan and worship team. Uh, truly, this has been an uplifting time for us. Thank you. Thank you. And it's good to be together. And, and it's really great to have Dr. Terry Toller with us tonight. Uh, Dr. T Toller currently serves as uh, Vice President for Institutional Advancement and Church Relations at Southern Nazarene University in Bethany, Oklahoma a suburb of Oklahoma City. Uh, Dr. Toller has served the church in many capacities. He has served as an associate pastor. He has served as a lead pastor. He was elected a district superintendent and after prayerful consideration uh, felt that that was not God's plan and will for his life. So he has served the church in many capacities. I'm speaking of the Church of the Nazarene, but he has also served the church at large in many different ways. He has been known as a respected songwriter and musician. He has been a contributing writer on three Grammy award-winning recordings, a certified platinum album, and a multi-platinum videos with his songs. Uh, his songs for children which we have a copy of and we gave to our daughter to play to our grandsons, has been translated in many different languages. Now, that's all good and we celebrate those accomplishments in his life, but that's not why I asked him to come here. I asked him to come here because anytime you're around Terry Toller, he lifts you. He helps you. He's a great man of God a great preacher of the word and he's a good friend and I'm just delighted to have him here to share with us tonight and then tomorrow morning and then tomorrow night and I know that you're going to receive tonight from a man who truly loves the Lord and walks with the Lord and serves the Lord so would you welcome Dr. Terry Toller to Nazarene Bible College Thank you, Dr. Graves. What a privilege to be with you for this opening convention. Uh, let me begin by apologizing for my raspy voice. Um, uh, as he said, I am from Oklahoma, and, and the truth is, I have been breathing dust all summer. And now that I'm in this ethereal air, my body's adjusting to it. So uh, forgive me uh, if, uh, if this raspiness uh, bothers you a bit. But I'm so privileged to be with you. Uh, I have a great, great deal of respect for your president and his lovely wife. Uh, he is a leader of leaders, and I've seen that up close and personal as we serve together on the South Central region. I'd also like to tell you that I've uh, had the privilege of watching him at district assemblies 
across the country as he's represented NBC and he's always done such an effective job of telling the NBC story and you have a president who's proud of you and I know you're proud of your president and I'm humbled I, I am genuinely humbled to be with you I'm a Bible college guy uh, I uh, one of my degrees is from uh, Circleville Bible College in Ohio uh, it's now Ohio Christian University, but uh, maybe I'll say more about my Bible college education along the way, but uh, I have a special place in my heart for the Bible college. I've also seen as I've traveled the country the influence of NBC on the Church of the Nazarene and well beyond because I serve over 600 pastors and churches on the South Central region uh, I've seen the effective work of Nazarene Bible College graduates everywhere I've gone. And they're some of our best pastors, and you can be proud of, uh, of your alums around, uh, around the country and especially on the South Central region. In our brief times together, uh, I want to focus on Jesus. Is that all right? A simple kind of approach. Tonight we'll... Uh, We'll go with Jesus to the river. And tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we'll go with Jesus to a wedding. And then tomorrow night, we'll go with Jesus to the well. And I hope that as we go, uh, we will be refreshed and renewed in our love for the Lord Jesus and embrace him with all of our hearts. If you have your scriptures, let me invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Uh, the full context is verses 1 through 17. But in the interest of time, I'm going to read uh, just verses 16 and 17. When you found the scripture, will you stand for just a moment and honor the scripture? As soon as Jesus was baptized, verse 16, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now would you join me for a moment of silent prayer. Let me encourage you to pray a prayer something like this. Holy Spirit, preach the message that I need to hear in my heart of hearts. Would you join me in, the, in a silent moment of prayer. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Dr. Graves talked about the, the breadth, or as my president calls it, my portfolio at SNU. And I have the opportunity to engage lots of different audiences. Universities have a wide variety of audiences, so sometimes I, I'm with the church, and then sometimes I may be... Uh, in a political setting, sometimes I may be in a civic setting, community setting. 
sometime back I was invited to uh, do the invocation for an NBA basketball game. And uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, we have an NBA franchise there now, and so they called up and asked me if I would do the invocation. I later learned that there are just a handful of teams in the NBA that actually have a pregame prayer, an invocation before the game. And so, uh, so I looked at my schedule and I agreed to do it. And then they started sending me information. It was, it was, it was, it was quite an ordeal. Uh, they said that I would need to submit my prayer in advance. And while I was unaccustomed to doing such a thing, I said, well, I'm, I'm honored that you asked, and I'll, I'll comply. And so, uh, so actually, I, I, I thought about it and, and uh, considered it, and so I wrote my prayer and, and sent it to them. And then the day of the game came, I had to go very early and uh, go through security. When I got to security at the designated place, uh, I walked up to the table and asked myself, and I said, I'm here to give the invocation. And in short order, uh, I heard a man get on his walkie-talkie and he said this, the invocator is here. <laughs> All of a sudden, I felt like an action hero. I said, <laughs> the invocator is here. And so that was, that was, pretty, that was pretty neat stuff. So in time, they, they took me down to the sidelines and, <clears throat> and, and they had a handler assigned to me. And I got to talking to, the, to my handler and, and, uh, and I said, tell me about yourself. And she said, well, I'm a junior at Oklahoma State University, sports management. And, and so we just continued to talk and wait and prepare for the time that I would go out to midcourt and do the invocation. And uh, so just, uh, uh, about five minutes before this was to happen, she, uh, she says to me, do you happen to have your prayer with you? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I, I do. Because they ask that you read your prayer because they don't want people getting out there freelancing, I guess, you know. <laughs> and so it was kind of strange for me. I, I, I'd never done anything quite like that. And so, uh, so I reached in my pocket and I pulled out my three by five card with my, with my prayer and I handed it to this uh, this junior sports management major from Oklahoma State University. And she read my prayer and she said, that'll do, and handed it back to me. <laughs> I looked up to heaven and said, Lord, what just happened to me? <laughs> Did I just have my ordination affirmed by a sports management major <laughs> from Oklahoma State University? <laughs> It was a humbling moment. Well, the time came, and, uh, and uh, I was getting ready to go out, and all of a sudden, one of the producers came over, and he said, take your lanyard off. And so, so anyway, I, I, I took my lanyard off. They didn't want that on the Jumbotron and the NBA network or something. And, and so I took it off, and as I took it off, I started to walk out to midcourt, and one of the NBA officials, he stops me and says, hey, man, they messed up your hair. So I started patting my hair down, you know. <laughs> So he says, you got it, you got it. So I went on out, so I did the prayer, and then uh, Sandy Patty sang the national anthem, and it was just, just wonderful. And I ended up standing right next to that same official who had warned me about my hair. And so uh, I couldn't resist when, when the national anthem was over, and he was standing there, and I was standing there, and I looked at him, and I said, good call on the hair. I said, that may be the only good call you make all night. <laughs> the invocator. 
in our text tonight, there's, a, there's an invocator who's calling upon God. He's calling upon God to deal with sinners, and he's calling on sinners to deal with God. It's Elizabeth's son. He's down by the River Jordan. He's a, he's a strange but holy man. I like to think of him as a graduate of uh, Elijah's school of strange prophets. That's just my way of looking at him. He's an evangelist with one sermon, just one sermon. Doesn't matter which night of the week you catch him, you're going to get the same sermon. He's going to preach, repent, repent, repent. That's John's sermon. He won't change his mind, he won't change his message. He's a guitar player with one string, and he plays that string over and over and over. He won't change the tune. It's repent, repent, repent. You'll remember that the nation of Israel had been stuck for 400 years. It had been a dark and silent time. There hadn't been a prophetic voice. And then comes along this strange holy man with this message of repentance. And God starts to do some amazing things and he begins to move on these people who are responding to this message of repentance. John is saying, you will never please God. You will never understand how to truly and rightly respond to God until you act in repentance and have a right relationship with God. And so the common folks, they came. They came from everywhere. The people of the upper echelon of society, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they ignored the message. They did not want to hear the message. The message of repentance was fine for Gentiles, but uh, what self-respecting Jew was going to cave in and start repenting? So the crowds of ordinary people came. They responded, and at some point, as the people are responding to this message of repentance and baptism, Jesus shows up in the line. We don't know exactly when this happened. And we don't know exactly how much John knew about Jesus, except that he was immediately deferential to Jesus. Surely his mother had told him about uh, the miraculous birth, not only of his own birth, but the miraculous birth of Jesus three decades before. We don't know if he knew who Jesus really was, but he certainly saw Jesus as someone who was holy, even in that moment. And so John tries to turn the tables and says, no, um, uh, Jesus says, baptize me. And John says, no, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let's just keep doing it the way you've been doing it. And so, think about this. Here's Jesus, the one who knew no sin, identifying with sinners here at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Here's Jesus walking into the water that he created. Part of the triune God at the dawn of creation when worlds were, were spoken into existence. The scripture says in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So here is Jesus walking into water that He created. What a fascinating scene. Gordon MacDonald uh, is a friend. He's been on our campus a number of times. Author, uh, Ordering Your Private World and other good books. He writes of a vision of this River Jordan scene that's uh, compelling to me. It's a vision in which that he sees uh, a table of registration and there's a registrar at the table at the River Jordan and so as people come up the registrar asks them their name and then writes it down on a sticky label and then the registrar says and what's your worst sin and so it goes on the same label, your name, your worst sin, and then the labels put on the person, they step aside and it went something like this in the vision. What's your name, Bob? Bob, what's your worst sin? Bob says, I embezzled some money from my company and I hurt a lot of people. Bob, embezzler, step aside. Next, what's your name? Mary. Mary, what's your worst sin? She said, I told some lies about people and I ruined lives because I just didn't like these people. Mary, liar, step aside. Next, what's your name? George, George, what's your worst sin? I've coveted my neighbor's wife, George, coveter. Next, what's your name? Jesus, Jesus, what's your worst sin? He says, I, I have no sin. And then in this vision, Jesus, the sinless one, walks the line of the labeled, and he begins to peel the sticky name tags with the awful sins and places them all over himself in this vision. And in this vision, he walks out into the water and John baptizes him. And when he comes up out of the water, guess what? The ink is soluble and all the sins are gone in this vision. Now, I don't know how to work all this out theologically. I'll let you do it in your next class too. Do it this trimester, if you will. But I do know this. Here we see Jesus walking in humility, in full obedience to the Father's will. Jesus is baptized and some amazing things happen. Watch this. First of all, the heavens opened. Then the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And then, a voice, a voice from heaven that said, This is my Son, whom I love. 
with him I am well pleased. Now there's nothing extraordinary about a father approving of a son. I have two sons. It is my joy to approve my two sons. But this is no ordinary father and this is no ordinary son. Notice, notice what happens here. Immediately from this high and holy moment, Jesus is led into the wilderness to face the greatest battles of his life. And he goes with the Father's approval. Well, let's think about that for just a moment. So what has Jesus done so far? What has he done? Well, I think we know what he hasn't done. He hasn't taught in the synagogue. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't cast out any demons. He hasn't healed a sick person. He hasn't, he hasn't made a single disciple. He hasn't done anything special but labor in the carpenter's shop, his father's shop. So why is the father so pleased with him? It seems like uh, getting a degree from NBC before you actually take the courses, doesn't it? And some of you would be in favor of that, I know. <laughs> but I would submit to you that the Father's approval came not from what Jesus had done or was going to do, but rather his approval came for who he was in relationship to the Father. Jesus' baptism sent him in a new direction. No longer the apprentice in the carpenter shop. Now it's a new kind of apprenticeship. It's the apprenticeship of suffering. It's the, it's the life that he would embrace and be obedient to. Paul talks about it in retrospect. Even the death of the cross. That's what Paul says about it. And that suffering would begin in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's fasting, he's praying, and he's bombarded by, by Satan. And there were three temptations that Jesus faced during those days. Remember those? The first one, turn the stones into bread. You're hungry. Go ahead. Verse 3 of chapter 4. In other words, circumvent your Father's will. Second temptation, throw yourself down from this high place. Don't worry about a thing, verse 6, chapter 4. In other words, force your Father to save you. And then the third temptation, bow down and worship me, says Satan. Verse 8 of chapter 4. In other words, reject your father. Do you see what all these temptations have in common? All these temptations were attacks on the relationship between Jesus and his father. Now, my excellent Bible college education... <laughs> 
taught me that if the scripture does not say something, that I don't get to make it up. I will never forget a wise professor. We were studying the first five chapters of Genesis, and he kept on drawing us. This is, this is a tip to the students tonight. Don't let this happen to you. But he kept drawing us out on this limb, and we didn't know we were going out on a limb. We couldn't even hear the saw going through the limb as he lured us out there and he would, he would continue to say, and what do you think it says? And what do you think it says? And what do you think it says? And we were all offering our, uh, our unfettered opinions about what the scripture was saying. And finally he looked at us and he says, when the scripture doesn't say it, you don't get to say it. And I have never forgotten that. But can I tell you what I believe? Here's what I really believe. I really believe that what gave Jesus the strength to overcome every temptation, and by the way, the temptation wasn't for Jesus, it was really for us. It was to prove at the beginning of his earthly ministry that the devil would be conquered. Beginning and end of story. This is not a cosmic tug of war between two equal powers, friends and neighbors. Jesus in the wilderness, I believe that what gave Jesus strength to overcome every temptation was the memory of the voice of the Father in the River Jordan when the Father said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That same approving voice would come again. Remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration nearly three years later, and the Father would say essentially the same thing. This is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased, and added, listen to him. Now I know, I know who I'm speaking to tonight. I know that many of you are already in places of ministry. And you're studying to even better prepare yourself for your current ministry and future ministry opportunities. I also know that there are faculty members here, administrators, and you give yourselves to the education of preparing students for Christian, Christian service. And, and, and here's the reality we all face. We live in a religious economic system where performance is the currency. And the role becomes everything. And the inherent danger is that we can never find wholeness in the role. Brennan Manning, uh, 
who wrote Ragamuffin Gospel and other books, but in his book, Ruthless Trust, he talks about the attention and the recognition that came to him as a minister from writing, from preaching, from teaching, from counseling, and how that recognition of his role became his drug of choice. And he goes on to say, even my relationship with God was predicated on my ministerial identity and became a substitute for God. And quite often what happens to us in public ministry is something that's very very unhealthy. We overestimate what we can do in the short term. And at the same time, we underestimate what God can do in the long term. And so we take upon ourselves responsibilities and roles and pressure that goes with all of that and sometimes it's very unhealthy for us. Now don't misunderstand me for a minute. I believe there is a connection between faithfulness and fruitfulness, absolutely. My concern is that we focus on what we're doing rather than who we're doing it for. The Christian faith is not about, not just about a set of precepts and principles. It's about a person. It's that simple. It's about a person. Uh, Eugene Peterson, his book, Pastor, the Memoir. It's an interesting look at his life as an educator, as a pastor. But in his book, he talks about how congregations formed him. I was in the pastor for 25 years. And if there's any good in me, most of it, most of it, is because of congregations who formed me in a good way. All the other stuff is my own and I'm trying to work on it. Let me tell you about a person early on in my ministry who formed me. With this I'll close. Her name was Edna. She was a simple lady, as simple as you can imagine. She went to early elementary school and that was it. She married and had a son who was a child with special needs, but her husband, he couldn't bear the responsibility and so he left her and so she spent her entire life cleaning up after other people. She was a, a washerwoman. Oh, I could see her about town she would have her pail and 
those Dr. Scholl shoes because she would walk everywhere. She never had a car. She never traveled. She came to church every time the doors were open. She wore homemade dresses, had a homemade haircut. She was as simple as you can imagine. But she had a deep and profound faith. One day I was in her humble little home and Kenny, her son, was on the porch and she said, I want you to come to the bedroom. And she insisted. She didn't have a tooth in her mouth. She insisted, come in. And when I went into her bedroom, she said, I want you to see something. And so uh, I said, what is it? And she said, look at the mirror there. And on the mirror, she had a picture of my family. And she had taped it to the mirror in her bedroom. And I said, oh, that's so sweet, isn't it? She said, but do you know why it's there? And I said, well, I, I don't know. She said, every day. I stand before this mirror and I pray for you and Sue and Trent and Aaron. I pray for you every day. I'll never forget that. She came down with cancer and she was dying and I went to the hospital. I thought it would be the last time. Turns out it was. And she said this to me. She said, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to come back to church. I'm not going to get better. And that's okay. But she said, uh, I want you to do something for me, will you? And I said, oh, Ed, I'll do anything. What, what would you like for me to do? She said, I'd like for you to sing. I said, here? Now? She was irresistible. She said, yes here now. And so I said, what shall I sing? And she said it immediately. I'd rather have Jesus. And so I started to sing. And if I was in a little better shape tonight, I'd just sing it for you. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. And she never had any. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses and lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That was for her. What happened next was for me. It was a formative moment. I started to sing, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Well, here's the so what part of the sermon. That's a trademark of mine. The so what part of the message. The Father's approval comes not because of what we do for him, 
but rather it comes because of who we are in relationship to Him. And if we get the relationship right, the results will last forever. If we don't get the relationship right, the results just won't matter. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask a chaplain to come and they're going to sing and I know it's 8.30, but maybe someone, maybe someone would like to come and bow and pray and in your own way say it however you want to say it. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. Will you stand? Johnny, lead us. Receive this benediction. And now, may the lavish love of the Father and the incredible, marvelous grace of the Son and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And all God's people said in unity, amen. amen.